0: Hey, everybody. Spring is springing all around us here in the Northern Hemisphere, and what better way to celebrate nice weather than by playing hooky from work? And that is exactly what we're doing here at SciShow Tangents, so there's no new episode this week. But here is a rerun about flowers, so you can be primed and ready to wow your friends with science facts the next time you walk by a blooming garden. See you next week.
1: to SciShow Tangents, the Lightly Competitive Knowledge Showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me as always is science expert, Sari Riley. Sari, how's science doing this week?
2: I haven't actually read any re- reputable sources, but I think science got the big boat out from when it was stuck.
1: Sure. I bet science was
0: involved in the boat. Yeah. Well, science is involved in everything.
2: That's the point. <laughs> was
0: It was it like a big old shovel that got the boat out. I haven't investigated how they got the
1: boat out yet which which I do feel a little bad about. I learned a new word though which is refloat.
2: Is it just when you make something float again after it's no longer floating? A-
1: apparently it is specifically to do with big boats. Uh-huh. Mm. That they when they stop floating, the process of refloating them where you have to like try and do a bunch of things at the same time to get them not touching the ground anymore <laughs> mm.
2: that sounds very sciencey like you have to yeah. dig in the right spot you have to push mm-hmm. in the right spot uh, push pull
1: and then you also have to do like they can tilt the ship with things that they have on the ship they have like tanks that they can move or pump stuff oh, around so cool. they can tilt from side to side and they can okay. lift up and down empty it out blow it back up so i think they did all of those things
2: that's quite smart. Uh, I I have a cartoon image in my head where you just get a bunch of people on the boat and they all run to one end and that's how yeah. you shift the weights. But
1: that works on a little boat. It's I uh, think don't, don't know that works on a big boat. <laughs> Sam Schultz is also here. Hello, Sam Schultz, our resident everyman. Hello. How is everything besides
0: science? Well, yeah, honestly, we were all thinking about the boat too. <laughs> <laughs> that's been the main thing. It- yeah. present in everyone's mind i think the boat needed it needed big monster truck wheels they should make boats with the big monster truck wheels then it could have got out <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a duck boat
1: except it weighs you know as much as downtown missoula montana yeah and is
0: as tall as a whole mountain right pretty much <laughs> yeah it depends a small mountain really big really big tires then
1: Well, unfortunately, today here on SciShow Tangents, we're not talking about the boat. (laughs) Though the boat might come up anyway. Yeah. Um, The boat will be like two
0: weeks old by this point, though. Well, they're going to look like fools. It's true.
1: Yeah, everybody will have well and truly moved on to the next thing. I do love the the boat, (laughs) and I love every future thing that is a big deal that I can do nothing about that doesn't actually physically harm anyone. Yeah. And uh, the only people really losing money... Uh, is I guess everybody, but we're it's like a little tax we had to pay
0: for the memes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It was our movie ticket to the real-life movie called The Big Boat That Got Stuck.
1: Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amazing, and delight each other with science facts. We're trying to stay on topic, but sometimes we just spend a lot of time talking about a boat, so <laughs> we'll, we'll look out for that. Our panelists are playing for Glory. They're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Usually we begin our episodes with a science poem, but I'm going to later on present you with three different science poems. So you're not getting one now. We're getting one during our game. So we'll move on directly. You'll get your science poems later. We'll move on directly with Sari defining our topic, which is flowers. Sari, what is a flower? It's very different (laughs) from a boat is what I've heard. (laughs) They both float. So not that different. (laughs) They both float.
2: They're the the reproductive bits of, Uh of plants. That's all flowers are there for. They look really pretty, but their, their biological function is reproduction.
1: So they're like, hey, look at me, come closer, and then carry my seed away to some other plant to make the next generation.
2: Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they entice you with a smell to come look at them. They're like, sure. I'm stinky. Yeah. Check me out.
1: Or food. Like sometimes they're just like full of food for different organisms. Like, mm-hmm. hey, come eat me and spread my seed. And some flowers Ugh. can self-pollinate. <laughs> wow. So they just need
2: something <laughs> to go over to it to like jostle right. the the pollen Yeah, parts. somebody
1: please jostle me just in case it's not windy enough.
2: Yeah. So the pollen is sperm equivalent. Then mm-hmm. the egg equivalents are a little further down. Like the carpels form the ovaries. Plant biology was never really my thing, but I did a little Mm -hmm. research to refresh. And then there are ovules internally on the ovary, kind of like there are ova in human or mammalian ovary. And then like those give rise to egg cells. And then those are what turn into the fruit if if they're pollinated.
1: You know, it would seem to me that it'd be really easy to accidentally pollinate yourself, which is the thing that a plant wants to avoid doing. It doesn't want to pollinate itself. It wants to get pollinated by a different plant from farther away. Well, it seems to me like like ninety-eight percent of the time you're just gonna get pollinated by yourself. But I guess they maybe have some strategies to avoid that.
2: I think that some plants can be fertilized by themselves. And I there's some biological process that allows the mm-hmm. the pollen DNA to fuse with the egg cell DNA to like become the baby plant, the right. zygote. Mm-hmm. And that is not always the case with self-pollination. Like there is some biological mechanism in place in that it, it can't self-pollinate. And, and needs another one of its species to, to make seeds. So I think yeah. that that is the strategy that was evolved to prevent that. It was like, oh, well, this isn't giving us very much genetic diversity. Right. So let's make that impossible. And then those are the ones that had more successful baby plants. Gotcha. There are some plants also that alternate or depending on like the abundance of pollinators or the environment where in less successful years, they self-pollinate because it's like, well, Mm -hmm. just got to make things to try and stay alive.
1: And then Mm -hmm. if they're
2: able to be pollinated by something else, then they can make more robust seeds that actually combine genetic information.
0: Are they actually making some kind of like physical change to self-pollinate themselves? Like, do they make that decision sort of at some point? Or is it just an accident no matter how it happens?
1: They can make a decision. I I know, for example, that some trees can... Some years only be, only have male flower parts, mm-hmm. and some years like be female and they could switch back and forth, and some years they could be both. And I, d- I don't know to what extent that is usual, but I know that that can happen. Okay.
2: Yeah. Plant reproduction, very complicated. There are like multiple cycles that plants can go through, and I've forgotten them all.
1: It's really about knowing that something exists, not <laughs> knowing what it is. I- unless you have to do it for a living. This is like, this is actually how to be smart. You, you know that it <laughs> exists. You don't need to know what it is because you can look you up can what Google it, is. it. Yeah. The hard part is knowing that it exists. <laughs> so let, thank you, Sari, for letting everybody know that that thing exists. Now, where does the word flower come from?
2: So this is actually like surprisingly interesting. I thought I was going to be bored out of my mind looking at flower, <laughs> but turns out. Flour, flower, f l o w e r and flour f l o u r are the same word. And then we oh. just decided one day that I was like, no, those refer to different things. but they both meant the like the finer portion of ground grain. So you had what? like the the finest part of your meal was your flour. Oh. And it was also the finest part of the plant in a field mm. is your flower,
1: okay. Um, that's cool.
2: Yeah, and then somewhere around the, the 1300s, the 14th century, people were like, this is confusing that we're referring to grain and plants <laughs> with the same thing, like grain that we uh-huh. eat and grain or plants that we look at. So let's distinguish the spellings.
1: And then they did. We'll just switch the spellings up. It got too confusing. People were screwing up their recipes left and right. And <laughs> uh, so we just took the W out. Wait,
0: mm-hmm. why were flowers called that? they were like the finest thing you could look at is that what yeah. you mean like okay. the
2: finest thing in the field so you like have your have your ground up grain it's like oh, mm, the finest part is my flower it's the best then- part it's the
1: cream of the crop and then the cream of the of the of the land crop is those pretty things that smell good okay mm-hmm. that's weird
0: that's a stretch it's weird should have thought of a different word it's a bit of a stretch but that. like
1: you look at a look at a plant and like you know 90% of the time it's like uh it's just a plant like any other plant. Yeah. But then it has a flower, and you're like, holy moly, my dude. Look at what you made. That's like purple
0: and orange. When, what did this originate from? What When was that word around?
2: It came from Latin florum. Okay. Of Spanish flor, from the Proto Indo European root B H E L, which means to thrive or bloom. So that's the root for flower, blossoming bloom, like all synonyms of flower.
0: Then we decided to call ground up green flower. Very weird choices we've made.
1: It is weird. We've made some strange choices over the years. And that means that it's time for some actual poetry, you guys, because we're playing a variant of Rhyme Time and it's only—it's not similar to Rhyme Time at all, except in that it has rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our mystery Rhyme Time game. It's like Rhyme Time, but it's not, though it is a little bit, and we'll get there uh, in a moment. But There are many poems out there that draw on flowers and talk about flowers and use their beauty to make points about the world and about people. But sadly, there are not nearly enough poetic odes to flowers and their genes and molecules that make them good at their jobs. Not enough science flower poetry. So, for this edition of Rhyme Time, you will be presented with three poems that are complete except for the last word. And you will have to figure out and tell me. What the last word of the poem is. Poem number one. The flowers of that plant most peachy are full of reactive oxygen species. The product of things like photosynthesis can waver between toxicity and innocence. As in the case of a fungus, where like the imposter in Among Us, what seems a solid chemical defense instead enables fungal virulence— but now it is time to switch our rhyme scheme and draw upon a cherished verse to identify this molecule that at times protects or instead makes matters worse. For roses may be red and water is dihydrogen oxide, but add one more oxygen and you'll get...
0: Uh, how am I supposed to retain that many words?
2: <laughs> Hydrogen peroxide?
0: Hydrogen peroxide. Oh, sorry. You were supposed to
1: say it at the same time, but Sam obviously didn't know. Sorry, Sam. I was like, this is a very (laughs)
2: chemistry question.
1: (laughs) It's more of a chemistry question than a rhyme question. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you add one oxygen to water, you get hydrogen peroxide. And now I will explain to you what the hell I was talking about. Does that sound good? That sounds great. A reactive oxygen species is a byproduct of several different metabolic pathways. They show up in various capacities as signaling molecules, but they can also cause damage because they are reactive. In plants, ROSs, like hydrogen peroxide, have been associated with helping plants resist infection. But in the case of the peach plant versus the brown rot fungal pathogen, the oxidative defense actually seems to hurt more than it helps. When researchers applied the fungus's spores to the flower petals, they saw increased production of hydrogen peroxide, which then damaged the flower's own proteins and lipids, and that damage seemed to help the fungus infect the plant. And when the researchers added an antioxidant to the flower petals, they saw that the fungus was less able to infect the flower, but the exact role of hydrogen peroxide in helping the fungus infect the peach flower is still not clear. Mm. Peaches did it wrong. The Peaches did it wrong. Yes. (laughs) They were like, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt this fungus. And it's like
0: actually I just hurt me. I think we can safely say that Sari got the point for that, for that rhyme.
1: There's three poems, but there are more chances for points at the end. So Sam, if you don't slay it here, don't lose hope. I think I've lost hope, but continue. (laughs) There once was a beautiful orchid that wanted to make a flower kid, so it produced macrolides to mimic a bride and began a relationship most sordid. There once was a long-horned beetle that longed for a love most gleeful, and as it assessed in its romantic quest, it smelled an odor deceitful. The flower has laid down its bait, and the beetle's all-in, mate. It mimics the hormone that beetles call their own to get it to, and again, I will say, (laughs) all-in, mate, is the rhyme you're looking for. Do you have it? Say it on three. One, two, three. Pollinate. Hey, nice. All right, so one point to each of you. And in this orchid, uh, it uses sexual mimicry to attract the male longhorn beetle, producing a type of molecule called a macrolide that is often used as uh, by plants as an antimicrobial substance. But here, it might mimic the pheromone produced by female longhorn beetles. The macrolide here is disalactone, and it's not quite clear if that's actually the pheromone. But scientists have found that male longhorn beetles were drawn to that chemical when they coated beads with it. So <laughs> it's at least attracting them in some way. Uh, and probably it's attracting them because it gets them excited because when they get to the flower, the longhorn beetle reportedly strokes the petals and even will nibble on the petals, which is similar to their normal mating behavior. And then they will ejaculate. Uh-oh. But most importantly <laughs> for the flower, they carry away pollen. Uh, the ejaculation is oh. a little bonus for them. <laughs> 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 All right. And our final poem before we get to our more normal rhyme time. I do not know what time it is, for I am just a flower. I could not say the month or day, the minutes or the hour. But day and night are just two states that work in oscillation, and in me are a pair of genes that labs studied in isolation. And that is how I know to bloom, whether from the U.S. or Canadian. And so my (laughs) color fills your room, thanks to a rhythm most. One, two, three. Circadian. (laughs) Hey. <laughs> I forgot the word. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Sam. Thank you. So, scientists studying a plant called whale cress have known that two of the genes uh, that are important to its circadian clock are ELF3 and GI. There's these, these two genes. And they create an internal molecular oscillation that responds to the cycles of light and dark that the plant experiences in its environment. To figure out how those genes work together, scientists bred one of these plants, lacking both of the genes, and found that they were indeed not able to synchronize. Now, that last poem, the subject was circadian rhythms, which is super cool that we have these. And so we're going to go normal rhyme time and you're going to tell me a, like a two word or I think they're all two or three, maybe three word oh, phrases no. oh, that no. rhyme with circadian rhythm. So we're starting out. This is the easiest one. Oh. They are not easy. Uh-oh. A person who is from the country above ours, but he is obscured.
2: Canadian hidden. <laughs>
1: what? It feels so good when people get it. <laughs> okay. Canadian hidden. Ugh. As you unwind this very long piece of fabric, you will notice that its color slowly changes from the beginning to the end. Um, a long piece of fabric?
2: Like a scarf mm-hmm. or a...
1: Even skinnier than a scarf. A thread? Um, oh, God, you know
2: Gradient it. ribbon? Oh, Yes!
1: disgusting i hate you (laughs) it's so far away from circadian rhythm for some reason gradient ribbon still works for me okay the city is making some important choices regarding the building where sports are played Stadium, Stadium decision?
0: decision. <laughs> <laughs> That's not...
1: It okay. does it rhyme. Does it now rhyme? It, look, it's, it's hard to rhyme with circadian rhythm. I worked hard <laughs> and I'm having a fun time. And finally, <laughs> the bone that contains your brain breaks apart like the Catholic Church. Cranium schism.
0: Damn it. <laughs> Yeah. not even the right amount of syllables i don't think no not even close
1: <laughs> all right tuna's working out the points here sari oh, looks like you've come in with six i got creamed i got <laughs> creamed with three i'm bad at these yeah but like look the important thing is that it's fun and also if you impress me with your fact off you're gonna win anyway oh yeah that's true <laughs> which is what's happening after we take our quick break
0: Slash Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Yeah. Oh, uh, aspersions. One of those. Yeah. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet.
1: Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: want to plant it in fertile soil.
1: You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow if there's a constant drain on the bean. bean. That (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean beans. And beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users, and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans?
0: I'd buy more beans. (laughs) 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 <laughs> different kind of bean I guess a, a cheaper beans, more bro. of a cheaper type you of bean you buy cheaper beans
1: with your expensive beans
0: <laughs> yeah until i had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have
2: <laughs> subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use y- that money for beans instead stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S.
1: Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner to eat dinner. One must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy this stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to this stuff. You have to heat this stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards you have to, Hello, welcome back everybody. It's time for The Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented the facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. It all comes down to what is most pleasing to me. <laughs> but to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question, and this isn't about me. This is about reality. Young sunflowers famously follow the sun throughout the day and then reset at night, but mature sunflowers always face east. In studying this, scientists at UC Davis discovered that this is based on the priorities of the life stage. Young sunflowers grow more with exposure to the sun, and mature sunflowers that faced east warm up faster and attract Mm. more pollinators. Up to how many times more pollinators do eastern facing sunflowers attract compared to mature sunflowers that have been rotated by devious scientists to face
0: west i'm gonna guess three times more
2: wow oh, that's like a very reasonable that's where <laughs> i was headed too. uh i'm gonna guess five times more
1: five times more is the exact <sighs> right answer it's always five times more
2: Yeah, five was last week's answer, too. Uh, I'm on a
0: streak. Well, then you get to decide who goes first, Sari.
2: Sam can go first this time.
0: Oh, All right. Fruit-producing plants, as we said before, generally require pollination to make fruit. And to a large extent, through pollinator species and wind, this kind of thing usually takes care of itself pretty well, like in the wild. But when it comes to commercial fruit farming, there's a big external factor to consider. Capitalism. Bees and wind don't know about profit margin and overhead and stuff like that, so they don't always pollinate every tree as efficiently as they possibly can. Plus, with the impacts of climate change, natural pollination might not always be super reliable. So a whole field has popped up around artificial pollination, and especially drone-aided pollination. Uh, Mm -hmm. And while drones have their benefits when it comes to reducing labor costs and upping efficiency, they do lack one thing that bees and wind generally do have, a very gentle touch. For example, in 2017, material scientist Ijiro Miyako came up with an idea to use tiny drones fitted with horsehair brushes to collect and redistribute pollen. So he made a prototype, and he tried it out on some lilies, and unfortunately, he found that the drone had to get way too close to the lily, and he chopped up the flowers whenever he would try to dip it in. (laughs) So he started to think about gentler ways of distributing pollen artificially, and one day he was playing with his son, and he was shooting bubbles at his face with a bubble-blowing gun, and it occurred to him that if the bubbles were gentle enough to be shot at his own child's head and bounce off, (laughs) then they were also gentle enough to land on a flower without hurting it. So Miyako and a team loaded up some bubble guns with pollen-filled bubble solution, went to a pear orchard, and started shooting bubbles into the trees. Oh, my God. So traditionally, pear farmers in Japan will pollinate their orchards with a feather brush, and it can take a really long time, and they have to collect all the pollen before they go Mm -hmm. out and do it. So what Miyako and his team found was that the bubbles would land harmlessly on the flower's pistol. I think that's the part where it goes, then the bubbles Uh popped and the pollen got wherever it was supposed to go and fruit would grow. With the bubble guns, they estimated that it took 0.06 milligrams of pollen to pollinate each flower. And it took 1800 milligrams for each flower to be pollinated using the brush in the traditional method. And Uh and 95% of the blossoms were pollinated this way. 95% of the blossoms would grow into fruit, which is the same as the brush method. And bees and wind lazy, and they would only pollinate 58% of the fruit. So the bubbles worked very well. (laughs) Now that they knew that the bubbles could do the job and wouldn't hurt the plants, it was time to reintroduce drones into the equation. So Miyaku and his team got a bubble blowing toy, and it looks like in the video they just taped it onto the drone, basically, like a big drone. And they started practice flying it over rows of fake flowers and spreading bubbles. And they tweaked the height and the speed of the drone flybys until they could hit 90% of the flowers. Like at the end of their flyby, 90% of them would have a bubble on them. Mm -hmm. But they also used way more pollen bubble solution per flower that way than they did with the bubble guns, because they were just shooting bubbles everywhere. So their next step is that they are going to program drones that can see the flowers, go to the flowers. Sprinkle bubbles on them instead of just scattering them everywhere and hope for the best. But putting aside the drone stuff, I think the really important takeaway from all this research is that the bubble guns worked really well. And it's very cute to imagine farmers going out into orchards with their bubble guns and shooting (laughs) all of the flowers with bubbles. (laughs) They
1: go from this like really sort of like meditative process of like horsehair brushing doing the sex for the flower <laughs> to being like pew, 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 bow, pew, bow. pew. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> I feel like all all agriculture should be done with bubble guns. Mm-hmm. Bubble-based agriculture we're moving to. Yeah, the, they, like crop dusters should just have big bubble guns on the back of them. You
0: could
2: really get community efforts too. It's like, come on, kids. Yeah. The plants.
0: Uh-huh. Trick uh-huh. kids into doing all your work for you. Yeah, and then <laughs> they shoot
1: each other and then they start sneezing like crazy. I like it. It's cute and weird. Sarah, what do you have?
2: I hope that mine is cute and weird too, but those aren't the adjectives I would use to describe it at first. That was just me trying to segue <laughs> to the <a>
1: long day. <laughs> Look, here's the situation it's not cute, it's not weird.
0: <laughs>
2: so, like we've talked about, flowers aren't just pretty for human eyes. The petals are like flashy neon signs trying to attract pollinators, and the nectars are other volatile organic compounds, which are just chemicals that go into the air really easily lure them in like scents from a bakery. That way, flowers get pollinated and seeds can spread. For example, the genus Cyrus lives in Guyana, a country on the northernmost coast of South America. These plants are also known as the yellow-eye grasses, and their flowering strategy is to have long, vertical stalks with a single bulb on top and one feathery yellow flower sprouting on, on the top. But all living species, not just plants, are trying to sow their wild oats and grow lots of offspring. And one of them is a fungus named Fusarium xylophyllum, which is a pseudoflower that infects yellow-eyed grasses, we've seen two species so far, to kill their reproductive organs, hijack some biology that we don't quite know about yet, and grow out the top like a flower, and it tricks pollinators into spreading fungal spores instead. Mm. Oh. And as far as scientists can tell, because this research was published in November 2020, so it's fairly recent, this is a whole other level of floral mimicry with a full fungus flower, not just a coating on leaves. So it infects the plant, takes away its ability to make flowers, and then produces a yellow flower-like fungus. Uh, if you just glanced at it in a field, I would not know which ones are flowers and which ones are fungi but it was just close up you can tell but it not only fools our eyes it fools insects as well from studying the fungus and the the flower with light scientists found that the fungus reflects ultraviolet light and specifically emitted fluorescence in light ranges that insects with trichromatic vision like bees can see so it's like Mm -hmm. the correct colors for pollinators Mm -hmm. and also they did a lab culture of the pseudoflowers. They couldn't collect samples because of COVID. And they, they isolated a compound called 2-ethylhexanol, which is a smelly compound, another one of those volatile organic compounds that attracts pollinators emitted by the xyrus flowers. So they have to do more research about the blend of aromas, but at least one compound is in common between the fungus and the flower. So, yeah, as pollinators hop from flower to flower, they could be spreading a fungal infection because of this very well-adapted disguise.
1: Those were both very good. And, uh, And so I think that I'm going to award them equal points. Oh, great. Because they were they were too good. Uh-huh. Sam, you had a chance there, but Sari kind of came through yeah, with a little really bit did. of a mind-blowing fungus. And that means I don't have to think too hard, and Sari just wins. Okay,
0: that's fine. A mind-blowing fungus is a pretty special thing.
1: And that means our final scores are something to something, and Sari is the winner. <laughs> uh, now it is time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from at Echo Coda, who asks... Do carnivorous plants flower? And gosh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I, they seem like flowery plants to me, the kinds that the kind that have flowers. Does
0: every plant flower? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, like pine trees don't flower. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They make pine There's, cones. right. Yeah.
1: There's angiosperms and gymnosperms.
0: Okay. It's like the two big plant categories. And one of those flowers and one of those doesn't.
1: And I'm pretty sure that angiosperms is the flowery kind.
0: Well, you don't have to know, like you said earlier. <laughs> You just exactly. know the word, and then you can look it up. Yeah, angiosperm is the flowery kind.
2: But yeah, they are flowering plants. I also never thought about carnivorous plant reproduction. I just looked at them and were like, oh, cool. And then that mm. was the extent of my, my thought about carnivorous plants. But they do flower. And that is, first struck me as very weird because like, they want to attract insects to eat. And that seems very tricky to balance with attracting insects that you want to pollinate mm-hmm. you and then fly sure. to other plants. Because mm-hmm. like, wouldn't you just eat them all? Turns out people have already done this research. Smarter people than me have asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually a very like pretty straightforward answer. To solve this, this what they call pollinator prey conflict, there seems to be three main strategies. One is the plant's flowers and traps can open at different times. Specifically of like the growing season. So not just like night and day, opening mm-hmm. flower, opening trap. Mm-hmm. But that's like how pitcher plants operate, where their mm-hmm. their traps are closed when their flowers are open. So bugs only go to the flower and, and spread the pollen. The second method is uh, a difference in smell. So the flowers and traps can use uh, different attractants. So, like one insect is mm-hmm. attracted to the traps because it's like, mm, I love a red nectar. And then it looks at, and then a different one is like, Ooh, a white flower. I'm going to go pollinate that. The third thing that could be combined with the first two is like physical separation. So the it just right. <laughs> tries to grow the flower really far away from its trap, which I think
1: looks the funniest. <laughs> That's a super good. I love this picture. <laughs>
2: if you look at pictures, I linked a couple, but like there's one of a Venus flytrap and it's like the trap, the Venus flytraps are down by the ground and the flower is just like sticking a 10 foot pole above it. <laughs> Not that high, but like <laughs> relative to the small stubby traps. The flower is just like way up there. It's like, please do not notice me. The trap at the bottom. Uh, just land on my flower and then please flip yeah. away.
1: It's like, I I love you insects. Don't worry, I'm a totally different plant. I'm not that one that ate your mom.
2: Yes. <laughs> um Yeah, and and even more along those lines, it's like different bugs see the different layers of the plant. So like. A study on Venus flytraps found that the prey near the ground were mostly spiders and ants, which are bugs mm. that you know like walk around on the ground. Mm-hmm, but the mm-hmm. pollinators were mostly bees and beetles that mm-hmm. were flying along and then saw a flower to stop on and didn't even notice the death pits beneath them.
1: If you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at I May Be Human, at The Merrier More, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like our show and you want to help us out, I would love it if you did that. So much so. I want to keep making SciShow Tangents. You could do that by going to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents where you can become a patron. You can get access to our newsletter. You can also get access to bonus episodes. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. I love reading them and uh, also I think that it helps with uh, other people finding out whether they want to listen to the show and give it a shot. Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents just tell, tell people about us thank you for joining us I have been Hank Green
2: I've been Sari Riley
1: and I've been Sam Schultz SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia-Prieto our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon thank you and remember the mind is not a vessel to be filled but a fire to be lighted
0: But one more thing, Heliocodicerus muscavorus is a lily found in the Mediterranean that is also known as the dead horse lily because it's hairy, has a tail-like structure, I'll talk more about that in a second, coming out of the middle. Uh, that makes it resemble as one paper states quote the anal area of a dead animal adding to the realism is an awful <laughs> sulfury smell which is meant to resemble the smell of a dead animal but i suppose to attract insect pollinators <laughs> i think okay and here's a picture of it i think it does not look so much like a tail it looks like a poopy hanging out of its butt and if i'm wow. a bug i'm going to want a poopy instead of a tail and it does also look like a horse's butthole for sure. It definitely looks like a horse's butthole. A beautiful speckled coat on a horse, just his butthole, though. <laughs> and just like the deepest, darkest hole. Yes, it looks like it goes forever. And if I'm a bug, I'm rubbing my damn hands together. Can't wait to get into that. Yeah, hey, yeah.
1: I was. I thought you were putting on hand sanitizer. Well, I thought yeah. Thought that's what the bug was doing. <laughs> Just getting a couple pumps. Look, it's a pandemic. (laughs) I do want to fly into a horse's ass, but I am going to sanitize my hands first.